My name is Peter Kroll. I am one of the elders here for our church. One thing I've learned over the years is that contrary to the old saying I learned as a child, name-calling does hurt me. Maybe you found the same. It hurts sometimes even worse than sticks and stones ever could. Have you been scarred by words more than you have let on? Have you suffered the verbal assaults of people who seem to take joy in causing you pain? Have you built up walls to harden and protect yourself so it won't keep happening? And that's sort of the one side, yet aren't there there other times when someone says something that lifts your spirit and inspires you? Just a few weeks ago, Jaden Fiella shared something with me that he had learned in God's Word, and it absolutely made my day for him to speak that to me. Have you experienced such encouragement? Perhaps a note shows up in the mail, or you get an email from an old friend, or even a kind but probing question from someone who notices you when it seems like everyone else is ignoring you. Words have an uncanny power to change the world. And they change not only individuals and friendships, but also societies and nations. Just consider the effect of one sentence from the U.S. Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with unalienable rights. Consider how those words changed our world, not only here in this country, but also how they made waves around the globe. In our first topical study, in the book of Proverbs this morning, I would like to show you that because of how God made the world to work, your words have the power to change the world for good or for ill. So if you are tempted to believe that your words don't matter, God's word tells a very different story. Let me pray for our time in God's word. Our Father in heaven, Lord, you have told us that words are powerful and they make a real difference. And this is true ultimately because your word is powerful. Your word smashes the cedars. And you have spoken a word of life and forgiveness that can never be broken because of your son, Jesus Christ. And so please help us, Lord, to fear you and to connect ourselves to your words so that our words might also change the world for good. But help us, Lord, to recognize this power this morning of our words. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As we search the Proverbs for its teaching on the power of words, one dramatic and foundational truth rises to the surface, which is that our words are not meaningless. It is not true that names may never hurt me. Our words have the power of both life and death. It's point number one on your outline, life or death. Whether we recognize this or not, the foolish and the wise alike wield words of power. And I'm going to be doing a lot of flipping through Proverbs, so we're going to put the verses on the screen. My apologies to those on Zoom where we're not able to, uh, to share the screen with you. So prepare to flip at home. Proverbs 18.21 states this primary principle. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Do you see the power of God built right into that little slab of muscle and nerve endings we call the tongue? And those who love to use their tongue will always end up eating their words. Those who love it will eat its fruits. Some will taste the sweetness of life and others the bitterness of death. Now the Proverbs use a variety of metaphors for this power of the tongue. Life and death may sound dramatic, but additional word pictures communicate this same truth. For example, chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. This verse uses the metaphor of a fountain. Other verses use the metaphor of a bubbling brook. The point is that the water is flowing. Water that is still is filled with bacteria and can be poisonous. But moving water, flowing water, that which is bubbling or flowing is fresh and life-giving. And that's what wise and righteous words are like. And that's in contrast to the mouth of the wicked which doesn't have life flowing from it. Instead, it is stagnant, committed to holding back and concealing the violence aimed at the listener. You see, when the wicked person speaks, they want you to hurt, but they also don't want you to realize that fact until it is too late. And so they try to conceal the violence. Now, that sounds pretty cynical of me, doesn't it? that people would do such a thing. And think about this dichotomy I'm I'm painting. Is it really the case that one's words are either communicating life or they're concealing violence? Isn't there any middle ground? You know, like neutral words. Maybe they don't help you, but they won't hurt you either. You know, the sort of words you might write on a a term paper or or that you'd speak to a telemarketer. The Proverbs appear to not allow the possibility of neutrality with our words. By withholding life, by not building others up, our words end up being selfish and are thereby harmful to others. And the Proverbs use quite a few colorful metaphors to capture such violence toward others. Chapter 12 Verse 18, there is one whose rash words are like, a, like sword thrusts. 
but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Or consider chapter 16, verse 27. A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. Or consider chapter 25, verse 18. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club, or a sword, or a sharp arrow. And here's my personal favorite from chapter 26. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Doesn't that sound so innocent? Come on, lighten up. Don't take it so seriously. It was only a joke. Just shoot flaming arrows through their eyeballs because that's what you're doing. That's what I'm doing. The testimony of the book of Proverbs is that our words matter. Our words have a power inherent in them to affect others and to shape the world. Nothing that you say or that I say is indifferent or immaterial. That which proceeds up the throat, over the tongue, and through the lips will either refresh others with mercy, peace, grace, and life, or it will tear down and destroy with violence, self-interest, suspicion, and hatred. Now, as we read the book of Proverbs, we need to be careful because at this point it would be very easy and tempting to lay this foundation of the power of words, the death or life, and then to move right into a self-help style of instruction where I now give you tips and suggestions for wise speech. You know, how to win friends and influence people. Many books have been written on personal communication and influence, which include guidance for kind and gracious speech. But we must always read the Proverbs of chapters 10 through 31 in light of the worldview we already constructed and acquired as we worked through chapters 1 through 9. And in this case, since our words have the power of death or life, we must remind ourselves of where such life and death come from. So let me remind you of chapter 8. Verse 35, wisdom herself personified is speaking. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. You see, wisdom gives us access to life because it gives us access to God. The Lord himself is the source of life. So when our words reflect his... His life emanates from our words just as life emanates from God himself. This is why the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. When you have connected with God and you have swum in the gushing stream of his life, your words thereby can become wise words. You can't speak life from your own heart. You can only speak life if you connect in with the source of all life. So that's the overall principle with respect to our speech. 
that our words have the power of life or death. Life, if our lives, including our words, are connected to the life of God, and we, our words have the power of death, if our lives, including our words, are connected only to our own hearts and self-interests. In other words, our words are either flowing streams or flaming arrows. Now that I've laid that foundation with the general principle, the remaining five points on your outline will get more specific. We'll flesh out what it looks like to speak life or death. What kinds of words give life in certain situations and what kinds of words give death in other situations. And the first application of life or death always falls on those who speak the words. The very words you and I speak have the power, point two, to either preserve our own lives or bring us to ruin. For example, chapter 12 Verse 6 says, The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. Did you realize your own mouth has the power to deliver you? By contrast, in chapter 12, verse 13, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. But the righteous escapes from trouble. So one person's words in verse 6 deliver him, while another person's words in verse 13 ensnare him. How does that work? Well, here's just one example. Have you ever been caught in a lie? You know how ensnaring that is? And one thing leads to another. Well, when I was a younger preacher, I often used to purposefully embellish stories in my sermons in order to make them into more vivid illustrations. There's nothing wrong with fiction, like making up a hypothetical story that everybody knows is hypothetical and using that as an illustration, but it's a different thing altogether when I would take a true story and communicate it as a true story, yet intentionally change major aspects of it in order to create more of a wow factor. My lips would ensnare me, and after I got married, my wife began to feel obligated to tell the truth about stories I had told where she had been present. People would approach her after, after a sermon, and they'd ask, wow, what was it like when that thing that Peter, happened, Peter mentioned t- happened to you guys? And before the Lord, she would have to say, well, it didn't really happen like that. <laughs> and I was ensnared by my own words, and people felt lied to. I was so ensnared by my transgression that one thing would lead to another, and I I would then get mad at Aaron and use more crooked words to dig a deeper hole. You know, she doesn't remember it properly. Or when I was really caught, then I would rest on the defense, well, I'm allowed some poetic license as a storyteller. Or at times I was even tempted to go the route of these fiery words Sweetheart, God wants you to submit to me. But this is how lies work. 
Once you tell one lie and get caught, in order to save face, you must tell another lie and another lie, and your words ensnare yourself. And you add half-truths in, along with misapplications of Scripture, to try to protect yourself. And the answer was that I just needed to repent of my sinful behavior, to recognize the power of my words, and to trust my wife and my colleagues when they told me, when they reflected to me that people were losing trust in my ability to tell them the truth. Our words have the power to ruin and ensnare us, those of us who speak them but they also have the power to deliver us. For example, when someone has the courage to point out a weakness or a sin, words that will ruin you almost always begin with, yeah, but... But words that can deliver you usually sound more like, thank you. I will take that to heart and do my best to change. Such words build unbelievable trust between people. They build bridges. They give life. They deliver yourself. So our words can give life or death to ourselves by either delivering us or ruining us. Don't be like the fool who wants to get beat up. Look at chapter 18, verse 6 and 7. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. So please be wise, friends, and remember how your words can actually obtain mercy. Chapter 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So when you open your mouth, the first beneficiary of life or the first victim of death is you yourself. Your words have the power of preservation or ruin of yourself. And moving out from there, your words also have power to affect others. In particular, point number three, you can employ your words to be either a relief or a burden to other people. When someone in your vicinity is suffering pain, did you know that you have all kinds of power to make their suffering worse? And you can be a great burden. Look at chapter 25, verse 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. What does it mean to sing songs to a troubled heart? Let's say your close friend just had a parent pass away and now they're coping with the grief and the loss. Brothers and sisters, it can be so tempting to speak or write Bible verses about the goodness of God to try to cheer them up. Or to make comments like, oh, they're in a better place now. Or maybe even to sing songs in their direction. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, 
It is well with my soul. And what you say could be true, but it's truth at the wrong time. This verse says that you might as well push your suffering friend out into a blizzard and strip them of their parka. Your true words have become like vinegar mixed with baking soda. And I had to look this up on YouTube. I'm not a chemist. I've learned that you've created a nice little volcano that they can't drink and it will never refresh them. By contrast, the scriptures say that when fellow Christians weep, we ought to weep with them and not poke them with platitudes. Proverbs 12, verse 25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Now, even in relationships like marriage, where God designed them to bring relief to one another, things can go easily wrong. On the one hand, for example, a wife can be a source of great pain and burden. Look at chapter 27, verse 15. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. But on the other hand, a wife can be a great relief of her husband's burdens, and she can help set him up to shine. In chapter 12, verse 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. So your words can preserve or ruin yourself, and your words can also relieve or burden others. But what power do our words have to build, influence, and stimulate change? Again, we find possibilities for both life and death. This is point four. Our words have the power of persuasion or provocation. And Proverbs 16 has a sequence of verses that speak particularly to the power of persuasion. Persuasion is not a worldly thing. It's not inherently sinister or selfish. Starting in verse 21, the wise of heart is called discerning and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body, was verse 24. So friends, according to the Proverbs, persuasion is an act of love. It is one way to minister the life of God to the world, calling others to hear the truth and to change their ways. But such persuasion must never be bossy or demanding. Verse 21 tells us that it is sweet. Verse 22 here says it's received as a fountain of life. Verse 23 says it's considered prudent and judicious. 
It is the right thing at the right time. And verse 24, these words bear the fruit of joy and health. And others will see real improvement in their lives as a result. So by our very words, we can persuade others to find life in God through Jesus Christ. Yet also, by our words, we can provoke people unto damage and even death. Words can divide and destroy. Consider the effects of talking about people behind their back in chapter 26, verse 20 and 21. For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. And consider also the effect of nagging or constant criticism or aggressive banter in chapter 27, verse 3. A stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's provocation is heavier than both. So our words have power to persuade and power to provoke. We can win people over or we can push them farther away. And lest you think this power is limited to interpersonal relationships, the book of Proverbs takes this on a wide scale and broadens it out to entire societies. Persuasion and provocation on a large scale result in point number five, support or subversion of society. Look at chapter 11, verse 11. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Your words can affect the whole city. Wise words won the day when the American colonies united against tyranny. And not everything that the founding fathers of America said was righteous or true, but there was an appeal to the creator and to the human rights that he built into all of humanity. Even though those, those truths were not fully believed until well after the Civil War, and to be honest, perhaps they're still not fully believed that all people are created equal. But it was a good start on a strong foundation. And by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Because when we focus on ourselves instead of on the Lord, we begin to see our fellow citizens as threats to our own life or liberty or the pursuit of our happiness. And so we turn on one another and we devour one another. Look at verse 9 of chapter 11. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. So friends, please don't lose hope. Even as our society disintegrates, there remains a place, and there will always remain a place, for God's people to engage the populace in the public sphere. You see, the wisdom of our words is not just about our own little Christian lives, but about how we can influence society around us. 
There is a power of persuasion available through wisdom to support a righteous society, just as there is a power of provocation inherent in folly to subvert a righteous society. And may good and godly men and women not shrink from the fight when the strength of God's wisdom is the need of the hour. Brothers and sisters, your, pow- your words have the power to change the world for good or for ill. And the final reason why this is the case, point number six, is because your words have the power to satisfy. Your words have the power of satisfaction. You see, people seek truth within themselves because they're looking for satisfaction. And, and they fall for politicians of the slimy sort because such wicked orators have tapped into the power of words to satisfy souls. Your words can satisfy yourself. Chapter 12, verse 14. From the fruit of a man's, or so, excuse me, from the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. And the work of a man's hand comes back to him. So so your words can satisfy yourself. And your words can satisfy other people. Too, even when you tell them something they don't want to hear. Look at chapter 25, verse 12. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. You know, People don't usually want reproof. We don't want to be told that we're doing something wrong. But wise reproof is like a gold ring or an ornament of gold when it's met with a listening ear. So your words can satisfy yourself. Your words can satisfy others even when you tell them something they don't want to hear. Your words can satisfy people at a time when satisfaction might be really hard for them to come by. Chapter 25, verse 25. Like cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. You can satisfy them when satisfaction is hard for them to come by. Your words can satisfy your parents and your teachers. Look at chapter 23. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips... Speak what is right. You see, you you can satisfy your parents and your teachers by speaking what is right. But it gets even bigger than that. Your words can even satisfy political rulers. Look at chapter 16, verse 13. Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. So you can provide satisfaction to the world rulers who govern you. But you want to know the really crazy thing? Not only that you can satisfy yourself and you can satisfy the people around you and you can satisfy through your words, your parents and your teachers, and you can satisfy kings and rulers. But brothers and sisters, your words can satisfy God, did you know you had that power? 
Chapter 12, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Those who act faithfully, that is, they are not lying with their lips. Now, how is that possible? How is it possible that weak and sinful human beings can find God's wisdom and attach themselves to it such that they turn aside from lies and act faithfully and their words of truth and relief, their words of persuasion and their words of life are actually a delight to the Lord. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ showed us the way. He showed us that this could be so because he made it so. In chapter 7 of the Gospel of John, the Lord Jesus goes to Jerusalem to teach at a Jewish festival. And the people are amazed at the authority and the persuasiveness of his words. He claims that his authority is not his own. He, he simply teaches the very teaching of God. In, in other words, Jesus claims to fear the Lord. He's got the beginning of wisdom down. He's tapped into the source of life for the universe, his father God. And he now speaks words in accordance with God's words. And that's a pretty remarkable thing for a Jewish rabbi to say. Jesus made it possible for the wisdom and the power of God's words to be made visible on earth. But that's not all. At the end of the chapter, later in the week, Jesus says this. On the last day of the feast, he stands up and he cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Friends, you and I are now able to tap into the power of God's words, but only if we tap into Jesus Christ. If we simply believe Jesus and we pledge our allegiance to him, I know Many of you have messed up your words this week. I confess, I have messed up my words this week. But as we confess and turn to Jesus, the Spirit of the living God will transform our hearts to spew rivers of living water from our mouths. And this world just might be changed forever as people, more people, are persuaded to tap into that power through trusting in Jesus. As their burdens are lifted and their hearts are satisfied in the one who died and rose and now reigns as king of the universe. Friends, there are no such things as idle or neutral words. Because of Jesus, your words have the power to change the world. The question is not whether you will change the world, but whether you will change it for good or for ill. Flowing streams 
or flaming arrows? What will proceed from your mouth this week? Let's pray and ask God's help. Our Father in heaven, none of us can speak words of power that prevail as your words do. None of us can get this right all the time. We need Jesus. Please grant us more of your spirit, O Lord, that we might become like you, that we would plug into the power of your words and our words would align with your words that life may sprout forth to the ends of the world. And help us, Lord, please, to be a people known for preservation and relief, persuasion, support, and satisfaction through our very words. We ask these things for the sake of your glory and in the name of Jesus Christ alone. Amen.